Good afternoon, everyone. Always a joy to be with you. Today we are going to discuss, as Aaron Yehuda mentioned, the title, which is Patience, Perseverance, and Triumph. Um, I guess the main title might be Handling Travails and Challenges with, with Resolve and Equanimity, but what we're really trying to get to is the triumph. And uh, we're going to learn, hopefully, from the story of Yaakov Avinu a lot about how does a person acquire these character traits of patience and perseverance, handling travails and challenges with resolve and equanimity. And I know I don't only speak for myself when I say nowadays it's not so easy. A lot going on, things are very challenging. Um, when we get challenged on many fronts, it becomes more challenging on all the fronts because where we run out of either patience or resolve or equanimity. And uh, there's something in psychology, they have a, a concept, it's called decision fatigue. When a person has to make decision after decision after decision, you know, it's stressful and a person gets tired from being able to clearly and resolutely resolve and decide things. And so what we need to do when we're being challenged on many fronts and sometimes in ever increasing intensity is figure out how to handle these things. So we're going to suggest some hopefully uh, possible solutions and yes, insights from uh, the life of Yaakov Avinu. So let's go to the storyline. We'll do a brief like recap on the storyline. And then we'll ask what I think are some incredibly difficult questions. Yaakov Avinu, runs away from his brother Esav at his mother's behest. Yitzchak and Rivka send Yaakov to find a wife in Lavan's house. And that's his mission. That's what he's doing with his life. So regardless of did he spend 14 years in yeshiva or not, I don't want to get into that part of the storyline, even though it's hugely interesting and instructive. I would much rather get into what happens in this house of Lavan, Lavan being the brother of Rivka Imenu, and how Yaakov then exists there for 20 years. When Yaakov gets there, he seems to have no money, and he agrees to work for his uncle Lavan for seven years for the privilege of marrying his daughter Rachel. This is a pretty interesting construct right off the bat. But usually a woman goes into a, a marriage with a dowry, and over here, the man is working for seven years in advance for the privilege of taking care of her. And he works for the seven years, and the Torah tells us it didn't even seem like a long period of time to him. And it's the wedding night, and he thinks he's marrying Rachel, and behold, in the morning, it's Leah. Okay, that's pretty astonishing by itself that he doesn't realize until the morning that it's Leah. That's amazingly surprising. But the problems go much deeper than that, because the next morning he turns to his father-in-law, Lavan, and he says, what did you do? This is not our deal. Why did you trick me? And Lavan says, well, you know, we don't marry the younger before the older in our place, in our town. And so therefore I gave you the older, but don't worry, don't worry. You can work another seven years and then you can have you know, Rachel in this merit of working both periods of seven years. So in other words, in a week's time, says Lavan, which is after the Sheva Brachos, by the way, after the, after the joyous celebration, <laughs> which is a question I want to get to, of his marriage to Leah, right? Then you can marry 
then you can marry Rachel and work for me another seven years. And Yaakov Avinu says yes to that. He says yes. And that's what happened. So give me one second. We actually have someone in the room who wants to follow along. So we're going to provide the page. Um, I'm inviting people. If you want to come, uh, you know, it's the winter here in Miami. Probably, hopefully, maybe past COVID. Come and join the yeshiva. Join us. Okay. So he makes that party uh, for Leah that first night. He discovers it's Leah in the morning. He agrees to work another seven years for Rachel. And that's what happens. Fine. Over the next seven years, he has a bunch of children. And he finishes the seven years of work after having 11 of the 12 tribes. Now, I want to ask you a question. Please imagine, put yourself into this situation. You made a deal with a guy. I'm going to marry this girl. I'm going to work for seven years for you. I guess I get room and board and the privilege of then afterwards being forever responsible to take care of your daughter. It reminds me of, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say it. Anyways, so he does that. Now, imagine it's you. And it's the next morning, and it's Leah. What are you going to do? What would you do? Is that a fair question? What would you do? Okay, obviously I'm thinking, I'm so gone from that place. Like, turn around, never look back. I don't want to hear from anyone from there. Because I know that there were three people involved in this major deception. Lavan, Leah, and Rachel, the girl of my dreams. They all went along with it. Rachel didn't come and tell me, <clears throat> by the way, it's not me. There was a big party. So unless you're going to tell me, unless you're going to tell me that um, Rachel was held up captive somewhere overnight, it's simply beyond astonishing that Rachel doesn't tell Yaakov, anything. And then you have Leah pretending the whole night that she's Rachel. And then you have Lavan who made the verbal contract, breaking his word. So, like I said, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure most of us would be out of there. But not only is he not out of there, he agrees to work another seven years. I would at the very least say, um, you gave me Leah, your problem, give me Rachel. That was the deal. And he doesn't do that. And then on top of that, here's a sentence in the Torah. He marries Rachel and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He loved Rachel more than Leah. Love Leah? Really? I don't care if it's more or less, but it's love. And he loves Rachel, who was a major element in this deception. It's so astonishing, it, it just almost defies logic. And then we go to the part of the story that he's finished the 14 years of work. And what does he do? He goes to Love and he says, listen, Love, give me my wives and my children. I'm going to leave now. Give me my wives and my children. They're my wives and my children. <laughs> I don't understand. Give me my wives and my children. They're my wives and they're my children. If anybody wants uh, sentence numbers, just raise your hand or let me know. So if, if, if it's true that they're the wives and children, which Lavan does not contest, why is he talking to Lavan? Bye. See you later. I'm out. I worked for 14 years. I got my mission accomplished. I married the girls. My, my parents told me to find wives. I did that. I have children. 
you know, hopefully God is happy with all that. We're supposed to build the Jewish people. Wonderful. See you later. But not only that, he agrees to stay. He stays for another six years. And it's only because Lavan tricks him hundreds of times. That's the way the Torah uh, says it, that Yaakov tells his wives, you know how many hundreds of times your father tricked me in this new deal, right? You talk about the new deal, right? In this new deal, meaning the six-year deal of how Yaakov was supposed to grow his own flocks, Lavan kept changing the deal on him. And we know that Yaakov had special help from heaven, and he, he knew how to somehow genetically engineer the right sheep that would belong to him. Wonderful. But it's only then that we find that Yaakov is going to leave. The, the fact that Yaakov was willing to stay as long as he stays is nothing short of mind-boggling. And so that's really the essence of the question. Why does he love Leah? Why does he love Rachel? Why does he deal with a guy like Lavan for 20 years? It seems really beyond the pale. So in order to begin to understand this, I want to mention um, a little bit of an idea that I mentioned on Wednesday, just as a kind of a jump off point, and then you know take it in a whole new direction. One of the, uh, I'm going to pause it. One of the great characteristics of our ancestor, Yaakov Avinu, is not only his perseverance and what we just described here, which was the tremendous amount of work that he did for these two girls and you know, dealing with their father, but Yaakov Avinu, the Torah tells us, was as smart as Lavan in chicanery, in deception, in trickery. And we know that Rashi says that, as one of the simple explanations, when Yaakov saw Rachel and he kisses her, he tells Rachel, he says, listen, I am the brother of your father. Now, Yaakov is not Lavan's brother. He's either his nephew or eventually his son-in-law. But he says, I am the brother of your father. So one of Rashi's explanations is I am equal to your father. If he wants to be kosher, straightforward, honest with me, I'm the son of Rivka, the kosher woman. I can be straightforward and honest and kosher. If he wants to be a con artist, I can be a con artist too. So it seems that Yaakov is professing about himself that he's Lavan's equal in chicanery, in sophistry. So my question is, where do you see Yaakov succeed with this you know, bragging that he does? I see very clearly where Lavan succeeded. He got 20 years of work from Yaakov for nothing. He paid nothing, zero, the whole way through. He paid nothing. He gave his two daughters. Presumably he wanted to marry them anyways. And in the final six years, you know what the deal that Yaakov made with Lavan? The deal that Yaakov made with Lavan is, listen, I'll work for you, but let me work for me too. <laughs> that was the deal. I'll work for you and you let me work for me at the same time. So how much did Lavan pay? Zero. So I see where Lavan was a tremendous con artist where he completely defrauded Yaakov, but where did, where did Yaakov win? That's what I'm referring to in the title when we talk about triumph. So here's the idea that I wanna bring from the Wednesday class is that there's two elements of understanding this great man Yaakov. One is 
that he sees the world and everything in it, that it has a purpose and a mission. <clears throat> if anybody wants, listen to the Wednesday class or last night's Thursday night class. And I explained that <clears throat> in great detail in terms of his dream. I'll just mention one point now is that a ladder is a symbol of a pathway upwards and a way to get there. And the goal is to get somewhere very elevated. That's what a ladder is, right? So at the very least, just understand that part of what the Torah is telling us about Yaakov Avinu is that he has this vision of elevation to greatness. But he sees that for the whole world, not only for himself, because he understands that everything in the world is created for a purpose. And he wants to be part of giving everything in the world that opportunity to know its purpose and identity and purpose and to achieve it. Okay, that's point number one about Yaakov from that class. And point number two is that in order to do that, you have to have a tremendous insight into people. You know, a very interesting thing. I'll I'll, I don't mind sharing with you. I had a conversation today with an 18-year-old boy. Okay, I, I'm happy to share it with you. And it's a boy that is a very nice boy. He's a smart boy. He's a yeshiva student. And I said to him, what's on your mind? He didn't really want it to know. I said, no, tell me what's on your mind. He says, girls. I said, okay, girls. Okay. I said, what about girls? Girls. I said, I don't know what that means. Well, what does that mean? A, a specific girl, girls, what about girls? I said, what about them? He says, you know, relationship. I said, oh, you want a relationship with a girl? He says, yeah. I say, why? He says, because I want an emotional connection with someone. Which told me like a whole life story in one sentence. I want an emotional connection with someone. The point is, and this is what I explained to him. I said, you want an emotional connection with someone? That's great. That's fabulous. But you need to understand that having an actual emotional connection with someone is you understand who you are and you can understand who someone else is. That's what an emotional connection is built on. You can't just say, oh, I want to meet someone and have an emotional connection. You have to have human insight. I said, if you study Torah properly, you'll have the best human insight possible. But you have to spend the time studying in order to understand yourself and the other person. Torah is a way for you to learn about yourself, to learn about humanity. That is an amazing tool. And this way you can avoid the wrong someones, right? Because, you know, there's plenty of wrong people to have an emotional connection with. You have to understand yourself. You have to understand the other person. Yaakov has an incredibly keen ability to understand the other person. And the truth is every con artist needs to understand the other person because you need to know how the other person thinks in order to convince them of what they want to be shown so that they can buy it and get bamboozled. That's what a con artist does. That's my father's brilliant explanation of Lavan's greatness. Lavan is 100% able to do that, but the Torah is telling us that Yaakov is also able to do that. Yaakov is professing that about himself. The difference between Lavan and Yaakov is that Lavan is seeking to understand people so he can figure out how to use them. And he succeeds tremendously. Yaakov is trying to understand other people so he can help them achieve what they need to become, which is completely selfless instead of completely selfish. Simple example, you're shepherds, you're supposed to be watering your sheep. What are you doing? Not doing your job. The sheep need watering, and that's what you're supposed to be doing. How could you not be doing that? That's the story after Yaakov's dream in the Torah. That's a conversation that he has with shepherds. That's an example. Okay. Here is what Yaakov Avinu understands about Lavan. 
Lavan is completely untrustworthy. I have to make a deal with Lavan that is kind of unbreakable. And the deal is going to be, I'm going to marry Rachel and I'm going to give Lavan everything he wants because as long as I give Lavan everything he wants and it's up front, I shouldn't be surprised. I'm giving Lavan seven years of my life for the opportunity to be responsible to take care of his daughter. Why do I want to do that? Because I see the greatness that Rachel has. I want to marry Rachel. The only way that's really going to happen at this point is with the father's permission. Let me just give Lavan everything he wants. Doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to trick me. I'll say, here it is. Take it. Seven years. You get an amazing deal, Lavan. Lavan, of course, takes it. That's great. Yaakov doesn't think that either Lavan or Leah or Rachel are just going to simply change the deal because I'm giving Lavan everything he wants. That's true. What happens when Yaakov is presented with Leah is he realizes that Lavan must have convinced Rachel and Leah that this was the right thing to do. Now, you know, I'll do a little bit of a, so to speak, break in the action, but it's right on the point. And that is that the rabbis tell us, and the question is, where do you see this in the sentences? And that's what I'm going to suggest. The rabbis tell us that Yaakov made a secret code with Rachel so that in case there was a shenanigan, Rachel would be able to break the, the trick because Yaakov would know, hey, the girl that they're giving me is not Rachel because she's not showing me the secret signs. But what happened was that Rachel gave that code to Leah so that Leah could be, you know, in fact, married and not be embarrassed in front of everyone that she was found out to be tricking Yaakov. That's what happened. So the therefore is, my, my therefore is, that how do the rabbis see that in the story? Because the way that a person really gets tricked is when they're so convinced that they're not getting tricked. Right. So if you have a situation where a man is acting as a husband on the first night of marriage, OK, uh, it's a little bit of a awkward situation sometimes. OK, so there's a lot of things going on in those moments. But if I'm so convinced that it has to be Russell because she knows the code, I don't really think about that. I'm thinking about consummating the marriage, you know, and getting on with whatever is supposed to be a husband and wife thing, but he's so convinced. It's only in the morning that he realizes because he was so convinced that it has to be Rachel. So whatever doubts might have been subconsciously in his mind, well, it can't be anybody else because this is the code. That's my suggestion for how the rabbis know this aspect, that there was a code. But when Yaakov realizes, behold, it is Leah, that's the language in the sense, in the morning, behold, it was Leah, he understands immediately that Lavan was able to convince both Leah and Rachel that this is the right thing to do. This must be the right thing to do. Now, whether it's to not embarrass Leah in front of the townspeople, or whether it's the fact that to live, you know, um, in, a, in a culture and to be so different than the culture is something not acceptable and very difficult for a family. So therefore they had to keep the custom of marrying the older before the younger, whatever the reasons were, Lavan is very smart and he convinces Leah and Rachel that this is, of course, listen, Rachel, of course you're gonna marry Yaakov, but we have, to, we have to give Leah first. That must be what happens. And Yaakov understands that, which is why he has zero resentment on that. The issue is, and this is the issue that is really the kicker, and it's so hard. This is what every, uh, what every in-law parent has to go through is where is the allegiance 
of my spouse, right? Where's the allegiance of my child in the marriage? Where is the allegiance? Is the allegiance to the parent or is the allegiance to the marriage, right? Where is the loyalty? Where does the loyalty lie? And this is what Yaakov understands so brilliantly about Russell and Leah. They grew up in Lavan's house. They don't think of Lavan as the worst. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm not saying that they loved everything about him. Most children don't love everything about their parents, but they don't think of him as an out and out scoundrel. That's not how they think of him or else they wouldn't want to stick around. But they want to stick around. Not only do they want to stick around for the first seven years and the second seven years, they want to continue. And that's why Yaakov doesn't just say, I'm out of here because Yaakov is gaming, he's aiming for winning over the allegiance of his wives away from their father to him. That's what Yaakov is going for. And Yaakov knows that if he leaves after 14 years, they're going to think, okay, my father made a deal. Deal was fine. You know, this is what, what, what I'm worth. You know, my husband knows that. And it was a fair deal. Okay, you know, we have to have Leah as part of the equation. It's not Leah's fault. It's not Russell's fault. Everybody should be happy because that's really what needed to happen. Yaakov needed to marry both of us. That's the way they're thinking of it. Now, the proof to that is if we look at the end of the parasha, after the six-year deal, which is the new deal, it says very clearly that Yaakov calls to Leah and to Rachel to the field to have a conversation with them. And it says, this is chapter 30, sentence four, let's have a conversation. And he says to them, listen, I see your father. He doesn't look at me kindly anymore. And you know the um, tremendous amount of work that I did for your father and that your father bamboozled me and changed my wages hundreds of times. And that it was God that didn't let your father succeed against me. If your father said that, you know, I should get the spotted sheep, the sheep would be born spotted. If he said the striped sheep, then the sheep would be born striped. So basically God gave me the cattle, not your father, despite your father. That's like a long part. He has a long diatribe there. And then this is a sentence uh, uh, 31, uh, chapter 14. He says like this, uh, the Torah says, Rachel and Leah answered like in unison. They say, hey, do we have any portion in our father's house? Didn't he treat us like strangers because he sold us? And he consumed our rightful money because all the wealth that God gave us from our father, it really is ours. So listen, whatever God tells you to do, if he's telling you to leave, okay, we're, we're good to leave. They were not good to leave six years earlier. They were good to leave six years later after they saw the hundreds of times that their father deceived and kept changing the deal on their husband. So what Yaakov is aiming for is the fact that we need Lavan to not have an emotional hold on my wives because otherwise they're going to always feel that part of their place and where they belong is in Lavan's house. And even at the end of the story, after Yaakov runs away with his daughters, the Torah tells us that Lavan says, uh, this is uh, 3143, he says, the daughters are my daughters, and the sons are my sons, and the sheep are my sheep, and everything you see is mine. But like, you know, what, what am I going to do? Well, what can I do? It's really all mine. You're robbing me blind. 
right? He didn't pay him a penny for 20 years. You're robbing me blind. You're taking my children. You're taking my sheep. Everything is mine. What can I do? And the reason he says that is because God appeared to him and said, you better not touch a hair on Yaakov's head. That's what Hashem said. So the therefore of all this is who wins? Lavan thinks that he has his daughters under his thumb. Lavan thinks that he is going to end up with everything and Yaakov will be his indentured slave for life. Unfortunately, there are fathers-in-law that might think that way. I don't know. And I, present company excluded, of course. Right? Maybe there are people who think that way. But that's what Lavan thinks. But Yaakov knows better. Yaakov knows that when, his, when Lavan becomes exposed and he sees, you know, the, I'm sorry, the daughters see Lavan for who he really is, that then the daughters will not retain an emotional connection or an emotional allegiance to Lavan. And that's so fundamentally important because we don't want chicanery and trickery to be part of the Jewish nation. There are many advantages that Lavan has and the whole Terah family, we've spoken about it, they understand purpose, they understand global impact, they understand hard work, they understand the need to accomplish something in life, that's fabulous. But this idea that you use other people's strength for what you want, rather than to help them accomplish who they can be, is the opposite of what a Jew needs to be. Now, how does Yaakov have the patience for all this? You know, I, I gave you like very specific examples. He, he, he makes a deal for Rachel. He works seven years and behold, it's Leah. It's hard for me to believe he wasn't seething inside. It's hard for me to believe like the last thing he wants to do is come home the next day to Leah. Really, it's like I, I, I'm trying to picture myself in that situation. I have a very difficult time imagining that. But he does. And he continues, and he continues to work another seven years for Rachel, and another six years so that the wives understand who their father really is, so that they will bond with him and away from Lavan. Where does he get that patience from? Where does he get that equanimity from? Where does he find that resolve? And the answer is because he knows that there is a purpose, and he knows that his purpose is correct, and he knows that the purpose is not for him to have an enjoyable life, it's to achieve, it's to accomplish. We have to keep our eye on the ball. If we want grandchildren, if we want a chance to pass down our legacy to our grandchildren, we have to figure out how to be patient in the process. And I wanna bring you another very interesting proof. We're gonna go about five minutes, then I'll be done. Another very interesting proof to this concept of Yaakov Avinu. And it's really the first time that I understood it. And I think I'm correct in the understanding. When Yaakov is presented to Paro, by Yosef, uh, later in the Torah and Parshas Vayigash, Paro asks Yaakov, how old are you? And Paro says, oh, I'm 130 years old. I'm sorry, Yaakov says, I'm 130 years old. But then he continues, me'at v'ra'im hayu Few and bad, evil, have been the days of the years of my life. They haven't come close to the goodness of the days of the years of my father's life. So I noticed really for the first time this phrase, the days of the years of my life. It's not how many years did you live? This power's question is how many were the days of the years of your life? Why did he say how many years have you lived? The answer is 130 years. Why does he say the days of the years of my life? So this is the idea I want to share with you. There's two ways to look at life. Am I enjoying it or am I accomplishing it? 
Very simple question. Am I enjoying it or am I not enjoying it? Or am I accomplishing or am I not accomplishing? Those are the two questions we have to have. A year represents accomplishment. A year is a slice of a whole life. You have all the seasons, you have all the holidays, you have all that life has to offer in a year. That's what a year is. How many years have you lived? That means how many slices of life have you experienced? When you ask somebody, how was their day? You're mostly asking, did you enjoy your day? Was it a good day or was it a bad day? The days of the year of a life, what Pyra wants to know is, did you enjoy your life? Because you have Yosef and your kids must be amazing if you produce Yosef and you have 11 other boys. Did you enjoy your life? Yaakov says, my life was really hard. I didn't enjoy any of it. Nothing close to what my parents enjoyed. I was living in mortal fear of my own brother for many decades, right? He's worried that Asaph is coming to kill him. That's an every day. He's working for the, you know, the father-in-law, you know, poster child of the mafioso for 20 years. He's got all these issues with his own wives and am I having a kid? I'm not having a kid. And how are the kids going to get along? And then for 22 uh, years, he, he thinks his favorite son is dead. That's not an enjoyable life. But if you ask Yaakov, did he accomplish? 12 tribes. He's the only one that had 12 righteous children. He is the founding father of B'nai Yisrael, even more than Avraham and Yitzchak. You ask Yaakov if he accomplished? Absolutely. The point is, your life is not necessarily enjoyable, but is that what's important about life? What's important about life is are you accomplishing in life? Yaakov never loses sight of that question. And that's how you have equanimity, resolve, and the ability to triumph. Because the goal is what do you accomplish? And if you work every day towards what you know is important, and you keep your eye on the ball, I want a long-term relationship with my children. I want a long-term relationship with my grandchildren. Then instead of getting thrown off by the strife and the problems, and there are many, when they're young, when they're old. My father loves the quote, young children, small problems, big children, big problems. My father loves that quote. <laughs> I guess I'm proof, <laughs> right? Everybody, everybody can give their parents grief. Everybody at all ages. The point is we have to not focus on the pain. We have to focus on what we're trying to accomplish. And with that in mind, Yaakov Avinu accomplishes everything. He doesn't really necessarily get that he needs to marry Leah, but he knows at the point that he marries her, that it's not the right thing to get rid of her. He understands where she's coming from. He understands who she's dealing with. And the same thing with Rachel. And yes, he does develop love for both of them. Okay, Rachel more, fine. And look what he builds because he accepts that this must be what I'm supposed to accept as my challenge and not just blow it all up and say, I'm out of here. No, I need to marry these girls. That's why I came. That's what Yitzhak and Rivka told him. He needed to do that. He needed to do that. Any normal person would have been out of there faster than Greece life. He's not. Why? Because his eye on, is on what am I trying to accomplish? And it's really the first time that I finally have peace with that statement that he says where he seems to be complaining about his life. He's not complaining about it. He's saying the truth. My days were bad. Many of us have bad days. It's okay. It doesn't mean that we're not going to triumph. Questions or comments?
Yes. Uh, um, yeah, just to, to point out something very, very fascinating. Um, the, you, you had made a point that Lovin had convinced him that that's true. And you see clearly, I remember Rabbi Foreman making this point, but in a different context, a bit. But you says, Lokain osim bim komenu, and you see that the halacha is taken to be that. So it cannot be that if the Torah says it and the Chachamim understand that to be a true factor, then it has to be that that is something that is true. And that's how he convinced them. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. For whatever reason, he thought he could make that deal. He thought, you know, loved one is allowed to abrogate. Whatever the chant that is, there is a truth to that fact. Correct. No, I'm just saying. I'm. I'm just yeah, bringing out. I'm the agreeing point with that you. Yeah. You're. You know. But your mahalach is now for answering, explaining how could it possibly be that we're going to take some silly, disgusting lie right. from Lovin and actually apply it halachically. Right. Exactly. It's true. There's truth to it. Right. Absolutely true. Thank you. Uh, did <clears throat> Did Yaakov Did Yaakov later on uh, suffer any punishment for? Uttering these, what appear to be complaints, I, I remember something. Yes, that's a very. Good, that is a very good question. There are, thank you, and I haven't finished um, working it out, but I, I'll give you what I think is my answer. Okay, because I had your question, so I appreciate the question very much. Uh, what Henry is asking is that, according to a parish, one of the Rishonim says that the sentence where Yaakov complains and says if we count up the letters of that phraseology, it equals, I believe, 33 letters, and he loses a year of a life for each letter uh, because the forefathers were supposed to live to 180, Avram lives to 175, and Yitzchak lives to 180, Avram lives to 175 because he needed to die before Asa went off the Derech, went off the D, that's the language everybody uses today, um, uh, before he became a wicked person, and Yaakov also should have lived to 180, but because he said this, he doesn't. So my so far explanation, Henry, is that Yaakov is correct. Okay, I'm, I'm going to pause it. This is, my, this is my answer. Yaakov is correct that it's perfectly fine to, for a person to say to themselves, yeah, my life was bad. Okay, but that's not the purpose of life. That's great. But when you're telling the king of Paro, and he could interpret it as that you don't accept your lot in life, even though you have a strategic reason why you want him to think that, that's a chilul Hashem. In other words, because at the end of the day, Yaakov was a paragon servant of God. So Paro is not going to make these nuanced differences and say, well, you know, you didn't enjoy your life, but you knew you, you, you believe in God and, you know, he's an ovid of others. Right, so therefore everything's okay. And even though I say that Yaakov has a strategic reason and I was really working on this, uh, that's why I'm ready to answer your question, Henry. If you look in that paragraph, Yosef actually is convincing brothers to tell Paro a story so that he can get away from, that they can get away from Paro, right? That's what, that's what, that's what Yosef is trying to do. Ah, Rabbi Shem right? So Yosef, it's so nice to see you both. Uh, so Yosef is trying to get them away. I'm in a color. So Yaakov, I'm saying that Yaakov is trying to go in line with Yosef, which is to convince Paro, hey, you really don't want to have anything to do with us. That, that's the, the mahalaf. The problem is that it also creates a fuel Hashem. He should have done it differently. That's where I'm up to in the answer. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Pleasure to have you. And I just want you to know that when we spoke on the phone last night, I had no idea that we were going to talk about this today. I promise you.
I worked on it after we hung up. Okay. <laughs> okay? Just so you know. Anyone else? Rear Butyl. Yes? I'm not sure. How did you answer that Rachel received Yankov? I didn't, I don't know if quite lost the recent of thought, but you asked the question. I didn't hear the answer. Yeah. Yeah, so my answer is, is that Lavan convinced both Leah and Rachel that the right thing to do would be first to marry Leah and then to marry Rachel. Why? Because either we need to be in cultural alignment or because of the way that Leah is going to feel or maybe other reasons. But Lavan 100% convinced them that this was the right thing to do. They weren't doing it because they wanted to trick Yaakov, you know, that they were trying to, to, to make him, you know, feel terrible. They were doing it because they were convinced that this is the right thing, that it has to happen now, this way. I feel that, I, I'm not sure, but the way I was thought till today, that Rachel was scared that if he, she says anything, she will be killed by Lavan. Lavan was a deceiver. And if he saw what was happening here, he, he couldn't stop it. So he had to do whatever he had to do. She had to do. I'm I don't not think saying, Lavan, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that you're wrong. That afterwards, you see, Lover made a story to Yaakov why he did it, but he didn't have to talk to his daughters. He didn't answer to his daughters. He did what he did. What he could, what he wanted to do. That's a different mahalach. What? That would be a different mahalach. That that Rachel was in mortal fear of her father. Of course, you saw that. No, I'm saying that's a different mahalach. I'm not saying I'm not saying that she wasn't afraid of her father. I just would like to believe that if she goes along with it, it's not only because of fear, that she also is able to be convinced that it's a correct thing to do. But the biggest mm -hmm. problem that I would have is, why do you tell me that I'm working for Rachel if he's sending Laya, if that's what's true? If you think about it, the whole, the whole timeline doesn't make sense. He's saying a story, why did you give me, I was working for Rachel, Rachel Bitchaktana, and all of a sudden you send Laya, oh, you don't do it, you should have told me this. No, so what's what's your question now? What is that question? The question here is, what did Lovin say? That all of a sudden you were the clear deceiver and he, he yeah, had so no, he, no respect to I'll play the Lovin side. The Lovin side is, I'm going to give you Rachel. I agree. I, I said I'm going to give you Rachel. No, no, no question. I'm giving you Rachel in a week. Yes. But I had to do it. I had to marry Leah. I'm going to give you Rachel. So then you have another question. Why does he agree to work another seven years? I have another answer to that question. But that's my answer to that question. That's called, that's called love. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a Hasidic saying that it's a joke, so I hope nobody takes it seriously. He says, Every father in law is a lover, but not every son in law is Yaakov. That's what they say, joke <laughs> in, in the, some communities. <laughs> I, can, I, I can tell you one thing that's only after they become a son in law that they say that. Of course. And then when they become a father in law, are they still saying that? Who knows? <laughs> okay. All right. I, I, I think there's a, there's a certain symmetry in in Yaakov being deceived and realizing after the, the the deception that maybe the deception was right and for the best, just like Yitzhak did when he when Yaakov appeared in front of him in Nimrod's clothes and with the food. So so I don't know what Yitzhak was thinking, but certainly after the event, he said to himself, "However, this came about." It feels like this is what was meant to be, and this is the right person to be in, the, in, in this position at this moment. So it just may be that Yaakov came to that realization, and the circumstances of how he came to be deceived were not as important 
as that he had been led towards the right relationship and having Leia also as a wife to build to build uh, the tribes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I do. I I think we should all agree that Yaakov is willing to look at his life that way. If it happened, there's a reason. I need to explore it as what needs to happen. We, we could see that how when Rachel was telling Yaakov that he's not giving me kids, look what happens. And Yaakov got upset with her and said. I have kids already. You, you can't do that to me. Therefore, that therefore it looks it was the better. He most of the kids at that point was from Leia. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, but, it, but it's I true. Saw, it is I saw true. Some, I saw something very beautiful. That why Rachel was so upset, and when she had Yosef, she said, "Oh, now I something went away from me. What? What? Chaposi? What chaposi? If you don't have kids, you have to be ashamed." So I saw a very beautiful thing that we know that the, the Bereshit said he had two women. One was for having kids and one was for having my, my, my relationship. So she, was, she was worried till then. Everybody was saying, this is what's happening. Oh. When she had a kid, chaposi, because now no, that not, was not for that reason. Nice. That's nice. That's very nice. Very nice. Uh, Dr. Horowitz, I'm trying to understand your comment on the chat about Lavan, uh, about Leia being intended for Aesop. Um, I well, there's two there's two things I, I smooshed together in there. One was I think it was the Basilica. I saw someplace that we you know we had the discussions over the week that um, Lavan was also chiding, as I say, uh, Yaakov that you changed the order of the Bukhar and mm -hmm. Seir. We don't do that kind of stuff over here. No. Uh, mm -hmm. But the also that the fact that uh, Yitzchak's uh, vision for the future was that uh, uh, Yaakov was the inside man and Asa was the outside man, and they would kind of be in a partnership, but it didn't work out that way because uh, Asa couldn't um, aim in the same direction. But that Leah and uh, Rachel were supposed to go to, and we said in Rashi that they had tried to rise up because she had the uh, impression she was going to be Asim's wife. So mm -hmm. now here, you know, he, uh, so um, I've been saying, look, you know, you bought, you bought the uh, birthright, you took the blessing. So you, you got to take, you got to take the consequences of your actions. It's only right. Okay, that's another it's good right, reason why it's right. Also. Yeah, it's interesting. Very interesting. And, uh, and Appreciate also it. Make, make two other points is that Yaakov never, uh, like uh, the I said that before too, Yaakov, Never tried to hurt Lavan. Yeah. yeah, you know he uh, he saw that the six I guess the six years of the end is an opportunity to get both of us really rich. Yeah, and uh, I think both of them saw that. Yeah, and uh, Lavan didn't want it to end. Yeah, um, and um, also that uh, you think about it, uh, Lavan was a pretty firm guy. He wasn't the chakra. He really just. He was a spin artist. And that's one of the questions. It seems like, you know, we have he's to explain. A, he's a master, he was a spin artist. He made it all yeah. sound like, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing the, the right thing over here. Yeah. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the good guy over here. Yeah. I I Yaakov, give, you, you ran away. I'm going to give you a party. Yeah. What did you have to run away for? Yeah. One other good point that uh, somebody is messaging me um, is that, you know, Rachel and Leah must have had an incredibly close relationship. Right, because they're collaborating together, they're agreeing to marry the same man. I mean, that's got to be rough, right? And uh, ultimately, 
ultimately they do work together, you know? So, so there is an element of understanding that also, you know? Well, it happens, but according to Chazal, it was jealousy of her good deeds. You know, that's, that's what, that's what, that's what, Chazal, that's what the rabbis say. The most yes? interesting, mm-hmm. Go ahead. the most interesting thing is that I saw in the Soporna this week about Lavan, that with all the bad character traits, the Soporna says, the so he says, a father blessing his kids, even a person like Lavan is always definitely giving a full hearted uh, blessing. I'll say the words. There's no such thing the father giving a blessing a child. Even Lavan has to be with your full heart. Nice. That's a supporter. Look at the supporter. It's not me. I'm saying to myself, we're talking about father. We have to talk about a father like Lavan. Still didn't want anything bad happen to his kids. Even a father-in-law like Lavan could still be sort of a good father. That's what it says. Yeah, I hear you. So we have to bring something out, something nice about us. We'll all give a good blessing to our kids, at least. Yes, absolutely.